Welcome to The Cultured Podcast, a weekly conversation hosted by me, Michelle Corey, that breaks down the barriers surrounding art, theater, travel, and more to serve a digestible dose of culture for all. Messieurs, welcome to the Cultured Podcast. I'm so happy to have your ears again for another week of cultural explorations. And this week we've got a bit of an interesting take on culture. We're going to be talking about herbalism or the study of plants and herbs to heal the body naturally. And we've got Tosh Nicole on the show today. She is an amateur herbalist in her part time, but also in her full time, she is a digital media consultant who works to elevate the status of urban growers in the Atlanta community. And she is also the art director of Murmur Gallery, a beautiful space that really promotes up-and-coming artists and gives a platform to artists who might not have one otherwise. Tosh went to Costa Rica for a month-long immersive apprenticeship. I can't wait for you to hear about her experience learning about the energetics of plants and how they can fuel your body and help you balance everything about your body, especially looking at the plants in your surrounding environment. It's really interesting stuff. But first, I want to tell you about what's inspiring me right now. I'm very into astrology lately, and I feel like this has a lot to do with what we're talking about today because, of course, astrology is the study of the planets and the solar system and how stars and planets and their movement and their interactions with one another affect us as itty-bitty, measly little human beings, and of course, the creatures on Earth and the overall energy of the Earth. So why I'm so inspired by it is because I started following a, a couple YouTubers uh, who are as- incredible astrologers like Kaipacha Letcher. I look forward to Kaipacha's Pele report every single week. He usually drops one video a week and he basically explains how the movement of the planets and the stars and other orbital entities affect us. And he's always spot on. So if I'm feeling some random sort of jumbled energy in my stomach, and I feel pressured and just uncomfortable, just uncomfortable with the way things are going in my life, usually Kebacha will drop a Pele report that perfectly sums up how I feel and what I can do to manage those feelings. And I find that stunning. And it's really incredible how the worlds of quantum physics and physics in general overlap so much with the worlds of astrology and spirituality and energetics. I definitely recommend you dig a little bit deeper at the roots of astrology and quantum theory in general to see how those worlds interact and overlap in really interesting ways. Speaking of stars, the sun gives us tons of energy and light so that photosynthesis can happen so that we can all survive, including the plants and herbs that surround us. And without further ado, let's talk about how those plants heal our bodies. Today, we're going to talk about the trip that you recently came back from. Yeah. Uh, you went to Costa Rica, right? Mm-hmm. I and... went to Manzanillo, mm. Costa Rica, which is in the Talamanca region closest to Puerto Viejo, which is where a lot of tourists go. Tell us a little bit about that journey. 
I guess I wasn't exactly sure what I was getting into completely. Mm. Um, I knew that I was going into a plant and herbal medicine apprenticeship program. Um, it was a month-long program, so it was considered an immersion program because most apprenticeships are over a few months. But I really thought I was going to learn some basic high-level stuff about plant medicine. Um, I recently had the death of someone very close to me in my family, my grandmother who uh, raised us. So she was pretty much like a mother to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I just felt like the Western medical system failed us a little bit. So I was just curious to learn about like some deeper, more traditional practices. But I think I got a little bit more out of it because it connected me more to my ancestral lineage and my own self-healing also. So Mm -hmm. that was something unexpected, but I appreciate it a lot. Yeah. So how did it connect you to your own self-healing? I guess anytime you're connecting with like your family lineage, my family is from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. My family has a farm there, pretty large farm. They have sugar cane fields, you know, and my mother and my father, they're they're gardeners, planters, spend every day outside in the garden. But it was always something that I was running away from because I'm like, I don't want to do that. Y'all want me to garden and be in the kitchen and do this and that. And I'm not really sure that's what I want to do. I want to chart my own path. I want to be outside with the boys playing basketball, doing this and that. But I feel like it was something that I was always pulled back into. So doing this program brought me back to my family lineage and my mm-hmm. roots and something that's always been like just a part of me, whether I went to believe it or not. But it helped me understand my place in it yeah. more and how I could use it to heal myself and how I can't really just like learn it on a surface level. I have to connect with it because plants are living, breathing parts of this earth as well, like us we all kind of come from the same matter. So at the end of the day, we have to learn how to connect with it. We can't just use it and abuse it, which unfortunately is kind of what we do do. But in order for it to work for our healing, we have to learn how to connect with it and Mm -hmm. understand it on a deeper level. And so I got that from the program. The program was called Central Ashe. Tell us about your experience. I made the decision to go on this trip two weeks before I went. So I was working remotely while I was doing that, but it really turned out to work well because I didn't, I had a lot of anxieties to the point where I was like, maybe I shouldn't do this. But as soon as I arrived, when so when you fly into Costa Rica, you generally fly into San Jose. And that's about five hours from Manzanillo, which is where we were going. Um, so I arrived by myself. You know, took a shuttle van to Manzanillo, which was five hours. Um, I knew it was going to be a good trip right away because I was meeting a couple great women on the shuttle van on the way there. Some of them in the program, some of them not, just Mm. some of them random women that were traveling on their own journey as well. Um, But when I got there to Central Asia, it was pretty late. I didn't really see much because it was the nighttime, so I still didn't know what to expect because it was dark. Mm -hmm. So Manzanillo is a small town. There's only one road to get there, and it's the main road that leads out of Talamanca through Puerto Viejo and Limon. It's basically in the jungle. It's a small town in the jungle. We're staying in cabanas. There were geckos (laughs) in the cabana. We had mosquito nets. There were big spiders that looked like tarantulas, Mm -mm. huge roaches. Mm -mm. We were one block away from the beach. Um, it was incredible. I don't even know how to summarize it. I just know that like I never experienced time that way before. Mm. It kind of changed my concept of time because the things that I worry about when I'm here, you don't really worry about there. Things just get done when they get done. It gets dark there around like 5.30, 6 o'clock. So you get up earlier. Like we were getting up around like 5. 
Oof. and starting our day, but it feels normal. Yeah. You know, cause I was kind of still on Easter time too. Um, but you just kind of like do more mindful things because you know, if you don't get up early, you're going to be chasing time all day because it gets dark earlier. Right. Um, and being in this program, we had full days. It's not like I was in Costa Rica chilling. Mm-hmm. We got up, breakfast was ready at seven, sometimes eight. Um, we started class around nine. We were either going on plant walks in the jungle. Um, we were either going on plant walks around Talamanca or we were studying with different um, herbalists or alchemists or people traditionally in, immersed in the herbal and plant medicine culture just through their own family and ancestral lineage. What kinds of classes did you take? We started off doing stuff around like just the basics of herbalism. Mm-hmm. So like learning, well, first we really started learning about Manzanillo and um, the indigenous cultures there and the history there. Manzanillo and the Carib coast of Costa Rica is predominantly um, Afro-Caribbean culture. So there's a lot of black people there. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's because a lot of people were migrating, you know, from Jamaica and the Caribbean. And then there's also the Bri Bri people who are the indigenous people there. So a lot of the culture is based off of their practices and things that they've just passed down from generation to generation. They didn't have a road, so they made do with what was provided from the universe. So if you need to eat, you go out and, you know, they made things like run down stew. You run down, you know, (laughs) you run down and find whatever you can find and you make this delicious coconut stew full of like delicious, healthy herbs. Um, We learned how to do things. We learned about energetics of plants. How do you learn about energetics? Walking around tasting the plants. Really? Yeah. So we did plant walks and we would just pick the leaves and taste them and at first, what was that like, having never really done something with that kind of intention? I'm kind of crazy already. So, <laughs> like, it, was, it wasn't it was a – I wasn't like, oh, my God, I'm going to eat this leaf. But it was just like, wow, I never thought to do this right. like, back home. And I probably wouldn't because wild harvesting here is a little different because mm-hmm. of, like, pollution or you want to be a certain amount of miles away from the road and right from where animals pee and stuff like that. I don't know. It was just so cool to learn, like, oh, so I'm eating this. And this bitter taste means that either, you know, it means that it's something I don't need to eat every day, but it means that it's something that's going to be a purgative and it's going to help me flush things out and get my digestive tract right. Or, you know, just feeling the different textures, looking at like how the the leaves look and things like it was pretty amazing. Who were your teachers? Who are these people who are teaching you the ins and outs of, of the energy of plants? The program was started by Molly Meehan. She basically has been doing plant herbal medicine for over 20 years. I think she's been in Costa Rica for 15 years. Um, so wow. she started the program. She has her own farm in Maryland, and then she started this farm in Manzanillo. She's from the U.S., so she basically has studied herbalism, but she doesn't go into this like, this is what I know, this is what you should know. She empowers the people there. So our teachers and instructors were all you know, women of color, some men of color, some people from there, indigenous people who have been doing this because mm. this is part of their ancestral lineage. Um, so we we went to a brie brie farm called Finca La Roca, and we learned about like this brie, amazing brie brie culture that basically banned GMO from their entire community. And wow. so they do their own farming. They sell their own products. They make amazing chocolate. Everyone makes amazing chocolate there. <laughs> um, and then Alda and Luba were our two main teachers, um, aside from Molly um, and a couple other people. 
Um, but they basically cooked for us every day and took us on plant walks and taught us the traditional practices that they were passed down from their grandmother and that their grandmother were passed down from her mother and grandmothers and so on and so forth. So we kind of called them like our aunties because they were taking us under our wing. It was really amazing just them taking the time to do this. And it was empowering because Molly was empowering them and they were empowering her. Um, and so it was, right. it was a, a beautiful example of how women work together. And Yeah, not only that, but just how intertwined some of these practices are with mm-hmm. culture and with a, a lineage. Like you talked about your own lineage with plants, um, but also these people who taught you how to connect to that and their lineage and how separate you may have seen yourself before from those people and how many similarities you now see today. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty amazing. (laughs) It's so much. Like, it's so difficult for me to summarize in a way that makes sense. So what kind of knowledge have you brought back with you to the United States? And what are you doing with the knowledge that you acquired over, over there? I think the biggest knowledge that I gained from it is understanding what's around me. You know, I was in Costa Rica. I was in the tropics. So, of course, what I learned is very relative to that place. Mm -hmm. So now what I've been challenged to do is to come here and I've been going on plant walks and I've been trying to engage with the herbalist community here and trying to find ways so that I can identify what's around me Mm -hmm. and how to utilize that for medicinal healing or just for my own benefit or my community's benefit. Some of the things we learned there is the types of ways to utilize plants. Mm -hmm. So we know we can eat the whole plant. We know probably making teas is one of the most effective way. Mm -hmm. You can make salves, you can make powders, you can make baths, you can make washes, tinctures, everything. So we learned all of that. That's a wealth of information. Yeah. So now I'm like, what next? You know, yeah. so I've started volunteering at some local gardens and farms here. Yeah. Um, and I've I've been making a few tinctures and things like that. And I really want to expand on my practice, but I want to make sure I'm doing it in a meaningful way for the community. Mm-hmm. So I'm setting some groundwork first. Um, so one of the biggest things I'm doing is establishing my own ethical practices and figuring out how to source the materials I need to do this the correct way. Mm-hmm. So I've been sourcing plants that I can buy to create these medicines and creating some tinctures that not necessarily selling right now that mm-hmm. I'm just like, you know, trying out and providing to my family and my friends as needed. And one of the other things I'm learning how to do is just do intakes, just sitting down with people when when they're healthy or when they feel like they need some med- some attention and uh, understanding what they're feeling, the energetics of their body, and then taking that and making recommendations on different plant herbal healing alternatives that they can try to complement or to substitute what they're getting from medicine or prescription. I think when people do intakes and learn these things, it's like something where it's like, you're not doing anything wrong. We just didn't know because we've right. been taught you know, to love and enjoy and indulge in things that may not necessarily be good for us. I am shocked every time I come back from Colombia because I go there, eat a ton of food. I don't gain a pound. If anything, sometimes I lose weight. Mm -hmm. And the second I come back and eat healthy because I eat healthfully here, Mm -hmm. I gain weight or Mm -hmm. I feel sluggish. And every single time my cousins come from Colombia and they gain a ton of weight almost instantaneously. Eating our food. Right. The the things that, that our food contains here in the U.S., are shocking. It's that's a tricky one. There are a lot of additives that yeah. are put in food. So my 
advice to people is cook your own food, you mm-hmm. know, go to the farmer's market. We're here in Atlanta. It's Saturdays around the corner. Go to, you know, Freedom Parkway Farmer's Market, Sunday Grant Park Farmer's Market. Support local. There are a lot of urban agricultural um, farms and community gardens here. And when you're eating locally sourced foods and when you're eating foods from where you are and where you live, think about it. Like you have allergies, you, you feel certain things because we live here. So you mm-hmm. should be eating what's here to heal you, to help you deal with what you're dealing That's with. That's such here. a great point. Knowing where your food is sourced and knowing what additives are, are, or are not in it is very important because very. some of those chemicals are, that are in your food are encouraging your metabolism to slow down. Mm-hmm. You made the point that we do abuse it as a a giant species on the earth. But you look at other animals and in doing the research, I mean, I was following your trip as you were on it and it was fascinating to me. And that's why I reached out and and realized just how cultural herbalism is. And there there are entire societies built around plants and how they can remedy you, heal you, feed you, nourish you, do everything. And if you look at even animals, we're not the only species that uses plants to heal ourselves. I see my dog doing it all the time. (laughs) We'll go outside to take him out for a walk and he starts eating like a herb, but he only eats certain ones. And I noticed there's some of the similar types of like leaf structures and things. And I'm like, Hmm. That might be something that I should be eating too. Well, and not just that, but for instance, when animals are sick, people observe that chickens, chimpanzees, sheep, butterflies will eat bitter herbs that they don't usually ingest in order to purge like parasites that they have in their intestines or something like that. I mean, of course, these things are provided to us for Mm -hmm. these reasons, but it's supposed to be a symbiotic relationship where we can give back to the planet that we also take from. I think that's that's what seems to be missing supposed to be like a system of like we utilize each other but we also give back to it i want to talk a little bit about the roots of herbalism what it means where it comes from and then yes some of the societies that we still see this so prevalently in Mm -hmm. so herbalism is not actually just the use of herbs Mm -hmm. it's the study of plants and using plants as a medicine or a therapy so today it's known as alternative medicine Mm -hmm. which is a little bit funny thinking about i know right (laughs) Like when you look at the earliest surviving Mm -hmm. medical systems, um, like Ayurveda and stuff like that, they Mm -hmm. always look to the earth and their practices, so it's not new. Exactly. And the first written record of plants used as medicine are actually on clay tablets in Mesopotamia from 5,000 years ago. That's so cool. Isn't that amazing? I'm sure it goes even further back than that. Well, uh, way further. So I'm glad you mentioned that because actually there's... So a book that shows herbal... Re- that has written in it herbal remedies is called An Herbal. Mm-hmm. And so the the oldest surviving herbal is from China from 3000 BC. Wow. Isn't that just amazing? Yeah. Um, and of course, ancient Egyptians were extremely pivotal oh, yeah. in herbalism and that mandated their everyday lives. But actually, the earliest records we have of humans using plants as medicine go back to prehistoric times. Mm. So 60,000 years ago, Paleolithic humans are, there are archaeological digs that have shown that they were using plants as remedies. And obviously, because they didn't have big pharma to produce like Advil. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I mean, that makes sense to me when you think of like where culture began and started, like, you know, the culture that was destroyed was like very advanced very like these are people that had been studying medicine science Mm -hmm. mathematics astrology for thousands of years and Mm -hmm. then it was destroyed and we kind of started over with like a 
like what we call mainstream or modern systems or modern medicine, but it's like all of it kind of models that past. Right. And I think that there's something to be said about some of the cultures that we're going to talk about. Like for instance, India, you mentioned Ayurvedic um, medicine that's been around for thousands of years and it's still around and strong. And in fact, a trend Ayurvedic. It's so trendy. Oh my yeah, God. It's such a trend. I, I like it's... purposely do not do yoga. <laughs> like I Cause practice, you're a rebel. Yeah, I'm a rebel. <laughs> I practice breathing and meditation on my own. I mm-hmm. connect on my own, but there's some things about uh, yoga and some of the things that I read and practices that I feel are so trendy that it's kind of dangerous because then you get into the, the area of overuse, like over harvesting things like Palo Santos and uh, mm-hmm. ayahuasca is so cool now. Everyone wants to go do ayahuasca, but whole Hold on while you're using all that patchouli. Do you know that it takes a whole football field worth of patchouli to create that little fragrance that you're putting on your body? Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's like, oh, this is all cool. We're connecting with nature, but are we looking at how it's sourced? Wow, that is shocking. I've learned a lot in the program about the energetics of plants. And so that's basically, um, if you study like Ayurveda or any other type of plant or herb medicine, you start to learn about your body and how it works. So energetics have to do with the tastes um, and what those tastes are associated with. So if you're eating things that are bitter, you know that, you know, those bitter plants have more to do with your digestive health or purging. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you feel like you have, or, I don't know, you're constipated or you're having a stomach virus or something like that, you know that, okay, these bitter herbs might be better for me. Um, there are some herbs that have more of a warming effect on your body. So, you know, that's going to help you move mucus out of your body or um, some of the herbs, sweeter herbs might produce more mucus and slow down movements sour herbs are more astringent so like if you need to slow down the movements in your body you would eat more astringent tasting herbs so i understand it more on the energetic side Mm -hmm. um but also in terms of like the types of flowers and the types of seeds that are produced like if you touch a plant or a seed and you feel it's really Mm -hmm. mucilaginous that also tells you a lot about how it will affect your body so like things like chan or like chia seeds are going to be more mucilaginous and those are adaptogens which are great for your whole body so those are things that you want to be eating often they're going to you know fuel you provide you with lots of um elements for your body that's going to help you on a more holistic level that's fascinating it's fascinating and it makes me want to understand more about how my body interacts because i think it's also it's deeper than that even it's not just what each plant does for your body but what each body can take and and needs yeah so the, the one thing i would recommend people doing is what i do like about ayurvedic medicine is the ability to understand the energetics of your own body so mm-hmm. like whenever you have time probably takes five to ten minutes just go online and do your dosha test mm. um, and it'll tell you kind of the things that you should and should not be eating to help complement or supplement for the energetics of your body so like for me i'm vata kapha so my body produces a lot of mucus and you know i need things that are more sour or bitter versus things that are more sweet sweet um not meats are not really great for me things like that so when you understand your dosha you can start eating for your body so if you have digestive problems or things like that it'll teach you like 
don't eat too much of this because your dosha is already in this area. So you're just going to increase the production of those different energetics. Oh, super in interesting. We're going to put it in the show notes so that people can just take their, their cool. dosha test. What's cool is that a lot of these herbals are still around today. Mm-hmm. So some of the things that were written in manuscripts by ancient Egyptians are still things that we use. Like for instance, cardamom. Cardamom is used for digestion to help with farting. <laughs> Cinnamon too. <laughs> Cinnamon too. Mint helps again with digestion, stops vomiting. Mm-hmm. And of course we know it's a breath freshener. They used it back then too, <laughs> thousands of years ago. And so there's something to be said about- Garlic keeps the jerks away. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, sometimes jerks are resilient. Oh, darn. <laughs> But it does help with a slew of other things. Yeah. So maybe it won't keep the right jerks away, but <laughs> the persistent ones. But it'll help with a million other things. And that leads us into a little conversation about which cultures are currently practicing. Still, it's very prevalent in Africa. 80% of the population still relies completely on herbalism as their dominant form of medicine. And that's beautiful. Beautiful. It's breathtaking. If you think about the size of that continent, I mean, come on, an entire continent, one of the largest in the world relies 80% on herbalism. So it's funny, the messaging in the Western hemisphere about it being alternative medicine, because I would argue against that. I would argue the opposite, probably, Mm. because when you look at prescription drugs, prescription drugs are made out of components of a plant. Right. So they're taking parts of a plant, a chemical compound of a plant, taking, extracting that from the whole plant and putting that in medicine because this compound helps with this. However, anytime you do that and you focus, like they say, like eating too much of something will make you sick. So anytime you take a medicine that is too much of one compound, it's going to have alternative effects mm-hmm. versus if you're having the whole plant, you're getting a full effect. Right. You're not just getting reliant on this one little aspect of the plant. And so that's why I feel like even people who are like, well, you know, Herbal medicine or plant medicine isn't good. We should listen to what the doctors say, blah, blah, blah. I'm not saying you shouldn't. I think you should, but I think you should also think about ways to complement what your doctor says with herbal medicine because you want to get the whole complete plant. You you should not be taking a pill that is just a little component of it because that's going to have so many side effects. Then you're going to get addicted to it. And, and, and that's a worse situation because then you're going to have to be put on more pills that have the same types of compounds that are made out of parts of plants instead of the whole plant. Because that's all prescription drugs are made from chemical compounds of plants. So why are we saying herbalism is alternative medicine when yeah, right. Western medicine comes from And, you know, China is one of the oldest surviving and recorded civilizations to have herbalism as well. And recently, researchers who are well-versed in both Western and um, traditional Chinese medicine Mm -hmm. are starting to try to apply scientific methods to trying to figure out um, what kind of scientific foundation there is in herbalism. And that's what kind of they're finding right now is that there is this balance of the yin and the yang. And Mm -hmm. energetically, these plants have the whole balance of what you need and help to contribute to your body in complex ways. So like you said, isolating one genome or something from a plant isn't giving you the other things that complement and supplement that genome, right? That make that genome balanced and helpful. And yeah, and I would never knock Western medicine because when you think about first aid and herbal first aid, there are situations where like, oh shit, my arm is cut off. I need to go to the hospital and get immediate 
medical attention to stop this. Right. Bleeding. A plantain leaf isn't going to do the trick. Right. It mm-hmm. might, uh, <laughs> it's going to take longer, but it might, do, <laughs> it might do, uh, uh, some, some similar things, but it's not, we don't want you losing mm-hmm. that much blood. So mm-hmm. you should, you know, use your common sense. If you're, if you're, uh, dehydrated and you're about to pass out, go to the mm-hmm. hospital. If the things that you're doing that are herbal practices aren't working within a couple hours, go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. But I also err on the side of like, don't immediately go toward to prescription drugs all the time. Last question. What is your favorite little tincture concoction that you've made oh, so far? No. <laughs> Tell me that now. I've made so far. So I don't really have a favorite that I've made so far. But my favorite uh, herbs would probably be vervine. It's a nervine. It's really good for anxiety and uh, for, you know, things that have to do with your nervous system and your emotional state. Um, another one that's uh, you can find here and see it everywhere is mimosa. Um, it's the plant that has the pink stringy flowers on it. Oh, you yeah. see it off the highway. Um, in Costa Rica, they call it the sensitive plant. It's a smaller herb that you see on the side of the street. And when you touch it, it closes up. It's also the sensitive plant here, but it's not so sensitive. So it does close up. But when you touch it, it doesn't immediately close up. Mm. But that's also called the happy tree. Um, so in, in ancient Chinese medicine, they were they used the flowers and the leaves, uh, or the flowers and the bark to make teas. Mm-hmm. And it's good for uh, helping you cope with different emotions and anxieties and, like, uh, just bringing you back. I don't know if it's a dopamine producer, but it, it brings you back to feelings of happiness and joy. And center, yeah. Yeah. So I think I like nervines a lot. Um, just because of my own personal struggles with different coping with things like depression or anxiety. I have time anxiety. I'm going to look into those. And obviously we're going to put all these in the show notes so that people can look more into them um, and source some of their own little herbal remedies. (laughs) Tosh, this has been so fun. You've been like an herbal remedy for my heart. Oh my gosh. Oh my God, indeed. That was a fascinating look at the way that plants and humans can interact to make themselves in the world better. Uh, Thank you so much to Tosh. You can actually find Tosh at harvestedlove.com. She has indeed started selling tinctures since the time that we recorded this episode. So don't forget to check her out there. Otherwise, I have a bunch of handy links in the show notes for this episode, including a dosha test that you can take that I already took thanks to Tosh inspiring me from this episode. Turns out my dosha is kapha and that basically means that I have a strong and sturdy physical frame which is true and that I have a naturally high acid so I have to steer away from foods that produce that and I have to steer toward very light foods and that is just the beginning of my journey of exploring things about my dosha. So I would love to hear what your dosha is and how knowing that has impacted your lifestyle in any way. And if it has made you feel better since changing the way that you eat and live according to your dosha. And don't forget to share with me what's inspiring you currently, because I'm going to start featuring our audience's inspiration on the podcast. What? Pretty exciting. So email me at info at culturedpodcast.com. Share with me what is inspiring you currently and why. And I will pick someone to share on the next episode. As always, my loves, I will speak to you next week, Sundays, every single morning, a new episode of the Cultured Podcast drops. And in the meantime, 
Keep it classy. Keep it curious. Keep it cultured. I'm Michelle Corey. Sean Powers is our producer. David Markowitz is our executive producer. The Cultured Podcast is a production of Zero Mile Media, made with love in Atlanta. You can listen to Cultured on culturedpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, and anywhere podcasts are found. If you love what you're hearing, don't forget to rate and review the Cultured Podcast on Apple Podcasts.